Welcome, and thank you for listening to Sandy Creek Stirrings. I'm your host, Joshua Jimenez. And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. The Bible says in Psalm 84, 11, my last verse, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. I based my whole life on that, that it pays to serve God, and I believe that with all my heart. God has given us a guidebook. God has given us a directional map. And that guidebook, that map, is the precious Word of God. Listen, don't just go and sit in the pew. Find some way to serve and serve as a family. Be a part of everything at church. And when you learn to love what God loves, um, your children will learn to love it as well. Homes are not that spiritually strong. We're getting overtaken by the world quickly, but unfortunately, we're pumping all the sewage in. You know, we're letting the world in when that ought to be a haven. We are back with our second episode here, covering the subject of the sons of God, Genesis 6, Job 1, Old Testament. What were the sons of God? Were they fallen angels? Were they demons? Were they believers? Were they the sons of God? And we jumped right into the topic last week. And of course, I'm joined by Pastor Patrick Jimenez. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Glad to be here. And we have, have been having a conversation about this subject, talking to, talking to you listeners about some different things that you need to realize and understand. Talk about connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament, and how some people want to divide the two and say they're separate. They're not. This is one volume. This is the Bible, and they all have to connect together. If you have any questions, on this subject, or maybe a different one, you can always email us at joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. Again, that's joshua at sandycreekstirrings.com. And if you don't like me because of this episode, you can leave all the hate mail there as well. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. And uh, But Genesis 6, the sons of God, we went over a lot of different scriptures and topics, qualifications to be the sons of God. And uh, if you missed that, let me encourage you, go back and listen to that episode. That's really going to lay the groundwork, the framework for, you need to understand those things. So go back and listen to that. And then we kind of left you, we're going to jump right in the, to the subject again today, but we left you last time, uh, last episode with, is it really that big of a deal? We mentioned that, you know, if you begin to believe this, it violates other core doctrines of scripture. And we said, we're going to talk about those in this episode. So let's dive right in. What doctrines are violated when you believe that this, the sons of God, Genesis 6, they produce giants and all these demonic race of people, and God had to destroy the earth. Uh, why is that an issue? And um, why is that a big deal? Well, tell you what I'll do. I'll, I think we'll start with this. Um, it's one of my, my last points, but I think I'll put it first. You say, what is the big deal of, um, you know, to believe that this sons of God are fallen angels? Um is, is that really something that's that bad? Is that something that is satanic-driven? And I'm going to say yes, it is driven by Satan, and here's why. Um, think about this for a second. From the very beginning, Satan has always tried to twist, dilute, and contaminate anything in the Scriptures regarding the gospel, yeah. the blood of Christ, salvation, and our relationship we have with God. He's always tried to twist and dilute that. And if Satan can dilute that special relationship called a son of God or a child of God, 
to include demons or fallen angels, then what we have after salvation is nothing more than a demonic relationship with God the Father. Think about that for a second. You say, why is it so important? Why would Satan drive this belief? Because if after I get saved, I have nothing more than a demonic relationship, something even fallen yeah. angels have with God, right. being called a child, then I can go live as a devil. I can go live as a demon. I can do everything they have because there's nothing special about my relationship with God. Yeah. And that's anti-biblical. That is anti-God. That is anti-Scripture. Because everything that we pointed out in that first uh, podcast about the subject points that the sons of God have a special relationship uh, with God. It's a father-child relationship, and sure. that relationship is established through faith in Christ, yep. and that's a proven deal. So the, yes, it is a big issue, and there is a reason why this is being promoted, uh, and you see people latching onto this thing, because Satan wants you to think you have nothing more than a demonic relationship, right? and it's scary. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. So, you know, there are some influences behind this that want to change and turn away from what is right and what is true. Satan, from the beginning, has always challenged the Word of God. Absolutely. And so that makes it an important subject. Continue on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a couple things here real quick. Um, we'd said in the first podcast that in order to believe that sons of God in Job chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 6 are fallen angels, then basically you do have to have some other corrupted doctrines. And let's take a, a couple look at them. Uh, I've got something written down here on, I guess you'd call point number one if we're doing points. Um, the Bible is totally clear on the doctrine that the righteous are called sons. Sure. Only the righteous, only those who have faith in Christ. In fact, God challenges us to find one time in Scripture where he ever calls an angel his son. Do you know that? He, he challenges us to yeah. do that? No, it's true. In fact, he says in Hebrews 1.5, okay, now, now listen to this, this is so great. For Hebrews 1.5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have mm, I begotten mm, thee. Mm, mm, mm. Anytime. Anytime. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. God himself is challenging us. If Genesis 6 or Job chapter 1 referred to the sons of God being a child or being a fallen angel, um, then basically um, God would have never challenged us in Hebrews 1.5 to find one time. And the reason he challenges us to find one time where he ever refers to an angel as his child because it doesn't exist. He said, it's not, you'll never find one. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Not a single time. That's why he said, at any time. By the way, that includes Old Testament scripture. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he dares us to find one. There is none. So we find another little thing here, and, and we had mentioned this, um, I think, in the first, pod first podcast, but in Hebrews 1 7, God tells us that he made the angels as spirits, a ministering spirit. And a spirit cannot be a son. And here's right. why. Because a spirit cannot be born. A spirit is made. A son is someone who is born and born into a family. He has a heavenly father. So if angels are made spirits, then they cannot be born as a son. So you might ask, well, how do we get born? How do we get that relationship with God? We're born again. And how do we get born again? 
by our faith in Jesus Christ. It goes back to that definition of what it means to be a son of God or a child of God. You've got to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. No time at anywhere do you find in Scripture where a fallen angel gets saved. Trust Jesus Christ and becomes a son of God. It's impossible, especially when you come to Genesis 6 and the people who say that those are fallen angels there in Genesis 6, uh, the sons of God are fallen angels. They never got saved. Yeah. And so it, it totally violates that known scripture. We also find that the Bible clearly teaches that all the sons of God, Old Testament and New Testament, all sons of God will be made like Christ. We find that in 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, speaking of Christ coming at the rapture, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know what's amazing about this is here we find that the sons of God at the rapture, Old Testament, by the way, at the rapture is going to be New Testament saints, Old Testament saints, they're all coming together, and we yeah. shall all be made into the image of Christ. No time in Scripture are you ever going to find a demon being made into the image of Christ and being Christ-like. It's impossible. It, In fact, it it's, it's the total opposite of what it means to be a fallen angel. And so it's very clear, no time in Scripture are you ever going to have a demon being made into the image of Christ. Yeah, impossible. you're exactly right. So uh, here's another one. Uh, I think it's a great scripture. Let me ask you a question, Josh. Will a fallen angel ever be joint heirs with Christ and own everything Christ owns? No. No. Who's no, that reserved to? Reserved to? To the sons of God. Exactly. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Here's a great doctrinal truth, that the children of God, the sons of God, those who are saved and put their faith in Jesus Christ, Old Testament, New Testament, we are joint heirs with Christ. Everything that is Christ is ours. We are joint heirs. And no time in Scripture you're ever going to find a fallen angel going to have access to everything that belongs to Christ. It's impossible. Impossible. So basically, you have to throw away that whole doctrine of joint heirs with Christ. And um, you, can't, you can't do that. You just can't throw away clear, precise sure. doctrine. Um, we understand as well that in order to believe that Genesis 6 is referring to some sort of sexual relationship between fallen angels and human women. You have to violate a, a natural law that God set up in the Genesis creation, the creation of the world. These natural laws never change. They still exist today. And the natural law that you have to throw away and totally throw in the garbage can is this, the natural law that flesh can only reproduce after its own kind. Exactly. When you read the Genesis account of creation, God set up a natural law that everything is to reproduce and can only reproduce after its own kind. There's no intermingling of different flesh. So, for instance, dogs can only produce with dogs, cats with cats, horses with horses, people with people. You cannot intermingle 
flesh. Two kinds, two different kinds of flesh cannot intermingle and reproduce. Right. And so here in Genesis 6, there's this belief out there that these sons of God saw the daughters of men, took them wives, and then had babies and created this demonic race of people called giants. And that's why God had to destroy the entire human race to get this demonic blood out of the human race. And that is not true because you'd have to throw away that natural law that God created. And he said everything reproduces after its own right. kind. He set that up on the days of creation. He set that, that up on the days of creation. Rever- yeah. So to believe that an angel can reproduce with uh, a human is intermingling of two different kinds of flesh. It is impossible. It cannot happen. And it violates God's own law that he set up in his creation. And, you know, there's a couple things that, that go with that. Angels are only masculine. Yeah. Okay. There's no such thing as women angels. You'll never find one in scripture. Okay. Angels are only masculine. I wonder how, you know, uh, uh, Michael and Gabriel feel when they see all these pictures of women angels, you know, and they're yeah. like, that's not us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, there, and then there's no such thing as marriage relationship with angels. Right. Uh, there's no such thing as baby angels. Angels cannot reproduce. Right. They, it's impossible for them to reproduce. There's no such thing as marriage. In fact, Mark twelve twenty five tells us, for when shall, uh, for when they shall rise from the dead, neither um, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Angels cannot marry. Yep. So here we have this belief that these fallen angels all of a sudden wanted to corrupt the human race by having this sexual relationship with women women and reproducing a demonic race of babies. And what they did was instead of just having this relationship with these human women, they took them wives. Yeah. Right? Because the Bible says they took wives. And by that way, wives means they got married. They got married. And you're clearly violating what Christ said. He said they cannot marry. They cannot marry. And on top of that, if... Something as demonic as a fallen angel wanted to corrupt the human race. Why would they do something so holy as getting married first? Yeah, which is an image of Christ in the church, as established it, by Paul. Exactly. In several and so it just corrupts the whole marriage relationship, the whole identity of of Christ in the church. It you have to throw away so many doctrinal truths to right. believe that. Yeah, and so. You know, it, it comes down to this, and, and I don't know if you want to tackle the thing you're about to tackle next, and then let's give them the summary of, okay, let's let's just simply explain who are these, these sure. sons of God. Sure. So let me, uh, before you before you move on, speaking of angels and, you know, reproduction and all that different thing, you know, they have to reprodu- reproduce after their own kind, but it's already been established that the Bible calls these angels, he calls them ministering spirits. They are spirits. Exactly. And, sp- you know... God, when he saw all of the fate of humanity and knew that there has to be a blood sacrifice for man, why didn't he just look at an angel that was sinless and hadn't fallen and say, hey, Gabriel, you go, you you be their sacrifice? That's a good question. Because he was a spirit. He didn't have blood, right? Blood is what washes away yeah. our sins. I don't know if you know this. Medically, you cannot produce children if you don't have blood, where do you think your children get their blood from? Uh, you cannot produce uh, you cannot produce children without blood. Therefore, making it physically impossible for a angel to have intercourse with a woman and give birth to children, it does not work that way. If he doesn't have blood flowing through his veins, he cannot exactly. produce children through a woman. So some people would say, "Oh, well, that's easy to answer. They possessed men and then took those men." 
So now you've got a demon-possessed guy that's called a son of God. That may be worse than calling a fallen <laughs> angel the son of God. And it's uh, crazy. so and yeah. so, you know, what's amazing about that is if you think about Christ, okay, God, why did God have to take on and be manifested into human flesh? Because God is a spirit. And so we find that God had to take on human flesh so that he could shed his blood and right. die for you and I and have that blood to shed. And you're right, absolutely. You know, if if an angel is made of, of blood and flesh just like a human being, then you're right. God could have looked at Gabriel or, my, you know, the archangel Michael said, and said, go. hey, you die for my creation. You, you know, yeah. why don't you sacrifice yourself? And he would have had a sacrifice, but he couldn't. Right. That's a great point. Yeah. Great point. So what what are these? Let's summarize, and then we're going to get into some some other things. Let's um, summarize. What Then if that's the case, all this being true, they're not fallen angels, what are these sons of God? Okay. And we kind of already hit on this, but... I think it's kind of obvious. If you look at the definition from Scripture of all of the qualifications to be a son of God, you have to be a saved person, a human right. being someone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ. So let's just put it this way. When you come to the Scripture, I'm going to have you open up to Zechariah chapter 3 to, to show this one here, if you don't mind. Sure. Are we going to jump over to Job? We will, yes. Okay. Before you jump over to Job, I want to mention something on Genesis 6 real quick before we shut the door on we Genesis 6. We can go 6. there. Yeah. We want to do that? Let's do that. Genesis. Yeah. Okay, let's do Genesis chapter 6. Um, Genesis chapter 6. Uh, I'm looking for my Scripture here. Okay, Genesis chapter 6. When the Bible says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God... Now, if you take sons of God right there and use the definition that God has laid out for us in Scripture, what yeah. is a son of God? A person who is saved and put their faith in Jesus Christ. John one twelve. yep. So if you have here that the sons of God, the saved, those that have put their faith in Christ, saw the daughters of men, which means the daughters of men, these were the unsaved. So you've got a saved person looking at an unsaved person, and they took them wives. They Here you have God's people going to the unsaved and becoming unequally yoked. They took wives of the unsaved and made them wives. What happened? It basically corrupted them, because God, from Genesis to Revelation, has always forbidden the saved to marry the unsaved to be unequally yoked. Yeah. That's simply what that's saying. And what happened? When the saved marry the unsaved, what happens is they produce a generation of unsaved. Right. You look at Solomon as a great example. His yeah. heart was turned away by his unsaved wives, yeah. unbelieving wives. That happens every time in Scripture. Yep. And so God is very, is, is very, very um, adamant that a believer is only to marry a believer. That's yep. why, you know, when when uh, Abraham went to go get Isaac's wife, he sent him back to God's people. Sure. And said, you know, go choose a wife of my people. And so when you come to Genesis chapter 6, and you allow the definition that God gave us of being a son of God, it fits very clear. Sure. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and there were daughters born unto them, that the sons of God, the saved ones, those that, who believed in God, saw the daughters of men, the unsaved, that they were fair, they took them wives. And yeah. it corrupted their entire belief in God's system. Yeah. 
No, you're, and you know, I think God writing through Moses, you know, Moses is writing the book of Genesis, and he's writing it to these people of Israel who they're about to go settle in a land of Canaanites. And God has always said, don't take you wives of them. This was going to be a big deal when they settled in a land of Canaanites. And I think God is reminding them over and over and over again, you cannot choose something that should not be an option for you and expect good things to come from it. Um, God warns them over and over, you can't be in these marriages. You know, what's interesting is the words here, if you look in Genesis 1, um, Genesis 6, verses 1 and 2, you see in verse number 2, it says that the um, the daughters of men, or that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. That word saw and that word fair um, in Hebrew, and I, I'm definitely not getting the pronunciation right, but it's ratob, I guess or however you'd pronounce it. Those two Hebrew words, anybody reading Genesis, if they're reading the Hebrew, would have seen these words, these same words, ratob. They would have seen them three chapters ago. When Eve looked at the tree and she saw that it was fair, she chose something that was not supposed to be an option, and it didn't turn out well. Here, I think Moses and God are reminding these people of Israel, when you get into that land, they, you're going to see that they're fair. Don't look. They're not an option. Not option. And this is what's going to happen because, remember, Genesis 6 is setting up the foundation for the flood and why God would have to destroy this entire race of humanity. Also, many many people who believe these are fallen angels, they believe God did the um, God had the flood because he destroyed this race of people. If that's the case, he didn't do a very good job. Because Job came after the flood, and we find these sons of God reappearing in Job because they want to point and say, well, those are the—well, then God didn't very do a very good job of eliminating these sons of God who had come down. Um, and one final thing before we close the door on Genesis. We mentioned you can never point one time in Scripture to where God calls an angel the Son of God. In fact, he challenges you to say, where do I? But you can never find—some may say, well, you never find an instance where an Old Testament saint is called the Son of God. I disagree completely. Luke chapter 3, verse 38, it's going through the genealogy of Christ, and it says, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, and speaking of Adam, it says, which was the Son Son of of God. So if Adam is called a Son of God all the way back in Genesis, you have a big issue when in Genesis you're calling fallen angels the sons of God. So that kind of slams the door shut, you might say, on on Genesis 6, um, saying, you know, these are fallen angels. Another passage they use is Job 1. So you want to go over there now? Well, hang on one second. Sure. In that uh, Genesis chapter 6, what's amazing is, you know, in verse number 3, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. He repoints back to man being flesh, not an angel. Yeah. And he says strive with man. Exactly. And then it says there were giants in the earth in those days. And, you know, um, it says here, also that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of, oh, um, which were uh, of old men of renown. And basically, there's you know people will, that you say, well, these are demonic babies now being born because God, you know, there's a reference to giants and and that they became mighty men. That just means that Christians lost the influence. Yeah. When the saved married the unsaved and they had children, the children were unbelievers. They took after the unsaved. They took after the unbelieving parent. And basically what began to happen in, in Noah's day was there became just a leadership. There became this entire world setting where 
unbelievers ruled everything and unbelievers sure. uh, uh, dictated everything, and God did away with that. Yeah. And so just wanted to just put that little nugget in there right. as well. So another passage they go to is Job. Um, you know, the passage of Job starts off talking about this man, Job, how he was perfect in his generation and things of that sort. And um, he eschewed evil and he feared God. And basically Satan, you know, God challenges Satan. Have you looked at my servant Job? But one of the passages there is Genesis or Job chapter 1 and verse number 6, which says that now there came a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And they say, well, those are, you know, sons of God that has to be angels presenting themselves to God, because look, there's Satan right alongside alongside them. That's that's what this is. You can't interpret it any other way. How do we answer that? How do we look at Job chapter 1 well, in that light? Well, it's very simple. If we go back to the sons of God and let God define who it is, is the Son of God, it's the saved, it's the believers who put their faith in Christ, then it's the same thing here. It doesn't change. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. So let me ask you a question, Josh. In the morning time, do you present yourself to God? Yeah, How? yeah absolutely I do, through prayer and going to God and confessing my sin. Okay. Job did so, the same thing. In the morning time, when you get up in the morning, you start your day with the Lord, right? Right. You get up in the morning, you get your Bible out, you spend time with Him. It's called your daily walk with the Lord. Right. You present yourself to Him, you come to Him in prayer. And so when you come before God in prayer, that's presenting yourself before God. Mm-hmm. And so you come to Him in the morning. Now, there's somebody else that comes along with you. Yeah. When you present yourself to the Lord, there's someone else who comes in with you. Who comes in with you? Satan. Satan. Can if he chooses. Why? To because he is the oh man, the term accuser just the of accuser, the brethren. The accuser. I was thinking he's the yeah. accuser of the brethren. So Satan now he can't he does now remember Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at once. But he does come before God and he is the accuser of the brethren. So when you pray, he accuses you and says, Hey, God, don't answer that one. Know, know what he is, know what he did yesterday, you know what I saw him do, and he accuses us. And so basically what you have here is you have in Job chapter 1, verse 6, is simply the believers were coming and presenting themselves. They were spending time with God. They were presenting themselves. They were praying to God, yep. and Satan was there among them. So my question to you is, how can we prove that Satan comes in and accuses a believer before God? Sure. So, and that's found in... Zechariah 3, 1. Now, before we read that chapter, let's give some biblical proof real quick that they are indeed presenting themselves to the Lord. So, for instance, Job knew that you could present yourself before the Lord in the morning. He said at Job 7, 17 through 18, What is man that thou shouldest magnify him, and that thou shouldest set thine heart upon him, and that thou shouldest visit him every morning? and try him every moment. Job understood that. There's commands from God to present yourself to the Lord. You don't find that commanded of demons. You find that of literally the sons of God, us. Um, in 1 Samuel 10, 19, um, if we cut down to the second half of that verse, it says, Nay, but set a king over the, us. Now therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Deuteronomy sixteen sixteen is another passage commanding you to present or to appear before the Lord. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. And so it's very clear, yes, from Scripture, you're commanded to present yourself to the Lord. Now, we were talking about, can Satan appear with you? Is that a possibility from Scripture? Zechariah 3.1 says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, 
and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. That's the passage you were talking about. That's it. So we have a clear, clear um, proof that Satan does come in with a saved person who's coming to stand before God. So so here's the thing, Josh. When you look at Genesis 6-1, you look at Job 1-6, and you come with the, the, the full knowledge that the sons of God are simply God's people, the believers, then you know if you believe simply what God says, that those are simply believers, you violate zero Scripture. Yeah. You don't violate any other doctrine in Scripture. None. Not a single one. That's exactly right. But if you believe that sons of God are angels, one, you don't get them from those passages. You have to throw those in there. But you violate so many other known doctrines and throw them away. And what happens is, is you're literally saying, God, I don't want to believe all of your word. I don't want to believe all of your doctrine. I'm going to pick and choose what I want to believe. I can throw away these. They're not important. That's what makes the belief that the sons of God are angels or fallen angels so dangerous because it teaches you you don't need all of God's doctrine. You can believe what you want to believe. But when you believe simply the way God says, a son of God is simply a believer, someone who believes God's uh, uh, a believer, then you violate no other doctrine. That's all that is, is Job 1.6. There came a day when the believers the, came to present themselves before God. They were praying, and Satan came also among them. And Satan looked at Job amongst all the believers and said, hey, see that one over there? You yeah. know, that's simply what it is. And in Genesis 6-1, again, it's when God's children, his believers, the believers, were marrying unbelievers. Yeah. It corrupted the, right. the whole system of belief. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. And it makes perfect sense that this conversation would come up between Satan and God when Satan's standing there and Job, can you only imagine Job, following Job 7, 7, 17 through 18, Job is presenting himself to the Lord one morning and God just kind of has this smile on his face. Look at my servant Job. He's doing such a... And Satan's standing there and he's just quiet. He's got nothing to accuse Job of. And God, I, I, I don't know, I imagine it with a chuckle. I imagine it with a smile. God says, have you considered my servant Job? I, I noticed you're not talking a whole lot. How about this one? Yeah. And uh, Satan says, ah... It, perfectly logical that that conversation would come up. Why would it come up otherwise? Um, it makes no sense. Exactly. So, and you, again, you never find in any of these passages where God ever says, oh, these are a bunch of angels here. Right. He says, never. at any time have I called them a son of God. Exactly. The final passage, so we can kind of finish up this episode, the final passage that we wanted, I wanted to talk about and bring up is um, the one that, as I said, I, there's a preacher I, I have a lot of respect for. I, I love his preaching, and he agrees with everything we've said until we get to this next passage in Job. And he said, I don't know that there's a way to answer it. There is. And I don't know, maybe he just hasn't completely studied it out. I'm not sure. But so many people, this is that trump card verse. This is the verse that they're going to load up their double-barrel shotgun with and shoot us down with and say, how are you going to answer this? That's Job 38.7. And some might be shocked. Wait a second, you're actually going to go there. Yes, I do want to go there um, because I believe that some people are going to say, well, this does not fit. Let me read you for context a a few of the verses and give you an idea of what they're talking about. The Lord is talking to Job, and in Job 38, look at verse number 4 if you have your Bible. It says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? So naturally your mind jumps to what event? 
jumps to creation for most people, you know? Yeah. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When, and here it is, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Most people look and they say, well, there you go. It's talking about creation, and it says the sons of God shouted for joy. We weren't there. Man wasn't there when God laid the foundation of the earth. We weren't there. We didn't come till day six. This was day, what was it? I can't remember for sure. Is it three or four or something like that when God, you know, set the foundation of the earth? You know, we weren't there. So this has to be the that this is talking about angels or something like that. What's interesting is, Everybody who believes that, you know, Genesis 6, Job 1, they believe those were fallen angels. It's funny how immediately right here, they're now not fallen, they're normal angels. So normal angels and fallen angels can be the sons of God, how they revert back and forth. They don't keep the line straight. But if if this was talking about creation, and you say, what do you mean, if? this is de- If this was talking about creation, you would be exactly right. I would not know how to answer this. Yeah. But it's simply not. It's not talking about creation. You say, I, well, I, I feel like you're starting to violate Scripture. Let's read a couple more verses, and, and I'll show you something. Uh, verse number 7, let's read it again. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth, mm-hmm. as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof, and, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up it, um, break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. This is not talking about creation. It's talking about the flood. The flood. You look at verse number eight. When it break forth, up until the flood. That seed never broke forth. And you look in verse number 11, God gives a decree. He says, no, 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 you're not allowed to pass this, 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 this area that I've set, this line, see, you're not allowed to cross it. You're not allowed to go over it. Well, if that was before when he created the world, that means that God allowed his own decree to be broken. That's not going to happen with God. This is talking about the flood. You say, well, wait a second. It says when the foundations in verse 4, laying out the the context for this passage, it says when I laid the foundations of the earth. The answer is very simple. When the flood happened, God broke up the foundations of the earth. Why do you think we have earthquakes and all these plates and all all these different things they weren't there before the flood. You've got people with, and you know, whether you hold to this theory or not, I, I don't even know if I hold to it. You know, it, it kind of makes sense a little bit, but some people believe in that Pangea, you know, that all these continents were really one continent altogether. And when the flood came, it all split apart. And part of that makes sense in some ways because of the, um, the plates and the earth and the foundations yeah. were literally destroyed. And we can prove from Scripture that God reset the foundations of the earth when the flood happened. For instance, you go to Psalm 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Verse 2, For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Hmm. Psalm 104, and if you look at that passage... See, what you're doing, and this is what I think, if, if the listener will understand this, this is how you study Bible. 
line upon line, precept upon Let the Bible define itself. You can't come to, to Job 38 and say, well, foundation there has to mean the creation. No, go back and prove it. Yeah. And what you're doing is you're taking scriptures and proving that foundations were set at the flood. Right. I love it. Psalm 104, verses 5 through 9 says, Who laid the foundations of the earth? Sounds very similar to that passage we just read. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever? Thou coverest it with the deep as with the garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound. This is very important. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over. Notice what it says, that they turn not again to cover the earth. When did the waters, when did they cover the earth? At the flood. At the flood. If you say this is talking about before God made dry land, well, then we have a violation because God would let the waters cover the earth again. And he very clearly said, thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. So you connect that back up to verse number five, who hath laid the foundation of the earth? It's outlining it clearly around the flood where God reset the foundations of the earth. And it's during the flood is the only time, you read the flood account, it's the only time where you find the waters of the earth going back and forth, and you find this turmoil breaking loose from the heavens. It never even rained on the earth before the flood. And the flood is the only place that you find the events of Job 38. Yep, proverbial lady wisdom. All right, this is the last one I'll give you. Proverbs 8, verses 27 through 29 uh, says, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep. But wait a second, why did he have to strengthen the fountains of the deep? The Bible says when the flood happened, he broke up the fountains of the deep. That's why you had water coming up, water coming down. God broke it up. Now he had to strengthen it. If that was talking about creation, he wouldn't need to strengthen them. They weren't broken. They weren't even created. Exactly. So you're saying, well, God created these, these fountains and they were broken to begin with. No, 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 no. God broke them at the flood. Verse 29, when he gave to the sea his decree that the water should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth. So here we clearly have God giving a, a decree to the earth, to the water, saying, you won't pass this way again. And that is when, Proverbs 8, 27 through 29 says, when he laid the foundations of the earth. So Job 38, 7, who is that talking about? When it says, when the sons of God God shouted for joy, I'll tell you when the sons of God shouted for joy. In that ark, there were some people who the Bible says were saved by their faith. In fact, you find Noah included in the hall of faith. And when they get off this ship, they were shouting for joy. You know why? Because they had been on there for forever, and they were tired (laughs) of the animals. They were tired of the smell. They were glad that they never had to go through this flood again because they received the promise from God. And you know what? They shouted for joy. You find immediately in Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 8, where, um, where, yeah, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, and Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar, and the Lord smelled a sweet savor. By the way, the Lord had been waiting years and years and years and years and years and years and years yes. to smell the sweet savor. It had been a long time. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. And you know what's interesting is you find Noah getting off the ark and praising God. He's shouting for joy. When was that? 
when God laid the foundations of the earth yeah. again and told the sea, you're not going to pass this decree ever again. And that's exactly what's taking place in Job 38. It's simply a recount of the flood. And what God is doing is he's challenging Job. He said, were you there? He said, were you there when the flood happened? Were you there when I broke up the foundations, when I let water come from above and from underneath and, and they swaged and went back and forth? And he said, were you there when the sons of God, Noah and his family, got off the ark and started praising me and singing at the top of their lungs? Were you even there? And that's exactly who it's talking about. Right. And when you believe that, simply as the Bible puts, line upon line, precept upon precept, you violate no other scripture. Right. That is how you study your Bible. Sure. So that kind of answers the question. Uh, are there any other passages that they might use? I don't really know. These are the main three Those that I'm seeing. Three. I'm sure there might be another one, maybe somewhere, but I have no question at all that yeah. it could be answered within the realms of Scripture. Can I just tell you this? If you say the sons of God in the Old Testament are fallen angels, well, we've given you a bunch of things you have to violate to say they are. Can I just tell you this, though? The sons of God, if they are Christians, if they are saved, if they're believers, if that's the case, I don't have to violate a single doctrine to put those in those passages. I don't even violate Job 38, 7. So I would rather stick with what sticks upon line upon line and precept upon precept. Very simply put, give the final answer. What are the sons of God in the Old Testament? They are believers. Believers. And that's as simple as as it gets. So some may ask, well, wait a second. I thought Old Testament saints were saved by works. They can't be saved by faith. We kind of already talked about that a little bit, but I do want to take time to talk about that. We'll probably talk about that either in the next episode or one right after that, but it's coming right up, so make sure to pay attention for it. Pastor Jimenez, thank you for being on the podcast again today. Glad I could be here. Hey, we look forward to next time. Until then, my friend, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.